loving Father in heaven, please be with us today. May your spirit guide and direct us. We have a lot of material to cover. I'm going to have to be going fast. I don't talk fast, Lord. So you're going to have to speed me up and you're going to have to give my audience ears that think fast and hear fast so that we can understand this material together. I just pray that your spirit be in our midst today. And again, I pray that you be with my wife and bless her and keep her in your care. Lay your healing hand upon her. Bless us now as we open your word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, a lot of people come down this door over here. Maybe, maybe the handouts could be over there. The gospel story in the stars, the Maseroth. Before we get too far into this, and I'll explain all of this as we go along, we do not believe in astrology. I don't believe that. Astrology, as we're going to see here in a moment, is a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit of a real story that God put in the starry skies. And you're going to see this in just a moment. I don't know if you know where this is. This is in southwestern United States, Navajo Nation. That's the Mittens. It's, it's in the Navajo Nation. And this is a picture that was taken of a constellation near and dear to my heart. It doesn't get any better than the constellation of Orion. So I don't know if you can see it, but I'll point it out. That's Orion right there. And that little star right there we'll talk about in a little bit is Betelgeuse. That's Rigel. We'll talk about it in a moment. But the one that's the most important to me is this little guy right here. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Ancient people had a fascination with the stars. To them, they weren't just twinkling lights in the night sky to make nursery rhymes about. They were, as the Bible points out in Genesis 1.14, signs, prophetic signs, pointing to events that God had told their ancestors about. This is an astral projection. Astral meaning in the sky. Terra projection meaning on the ground. This is in the Navajo Nation. My family and I have been at this place, that's Walnut Canyon in Arizona. Wapatki is in Arizona, northwest of Flagstaff. My wife's parents live in Flagstaff. So we're very familiar with this. But the, the ancient Anasazi people, the ancestors of the Hopi and the Navajo, laid their cities out in the shape of the Orion Nebula. And there was a reason for that. And you'll see that reason in just a moment. This is a cave painting in France. And it's a cave painting that some people think, well, it's just a bull. And it does look kind of like a bull. However, on this cave painting, there are four stars. This is really three stars. One's a smudge mark. And some stars up here. And what that is, is the constellation um, Taurus, the bull. And if you've ever looked at Taurus in the night sky, this is Taurus in the night sky. Can you see the bull there? I can't see the bull there. Well, you would think, yeah, you'd think that those are his horns. No, that's not his horns. That's his face. 
This is Orion down here. Let me show you how this works. But just to kind of give you an idea, from that picture that we just looked at a moment ago, the three stars down in the left, the group that's up above, there's the three stars down below, that's the belt of Orion, there's the group of stars up above, that's the Pleiades. You can see the lines there, that shows the constellation. This is what it really is, Taurus the bull, Orion, the mighty hunter. We're gonna talk more about them in just a moment. Temples and pyramids all over the world are aligned to view certain stars at certain times of the year. Were all these people simply pagan astrologers and sun worshipers? Or did they know something vastly more important that the stars revealed? Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Only the Gospel of Matthew has this story of the Magi. Ellen White expands upon this story quite well in the book Desire of Ages. She says, Desire of Ages, page 59, the wise men from the East were philosophers. They belonged to a large and influential class that included men of noble birth who studied the indications of providence in nature and who were honored for their integrity and their wisdom. Of this character were the wise men who came to Jesus. The light of God is ever shining amid the darkness of heathenism. As these magi studied the starry heavens and sought to fathom the mystery hidden in their bright paths, they beheld the glory of the Creator seeking clear knowledge. They turned to the Hebrew Scriptures. In their own land were treasured prophetic writings that predicted the coming of a divine teacher. Balaam, you remember Balaam? He was a true prophet that was a bad prophet. Anyway, Balaam belonged to the magicians. Though at one time a prophet of God, by the Holy Spirit he had foretold the prosperity of Israel and the appearing of the Messiah. And his prophecies had been handed down by tradition from century to century. But in the Old Testament, the Savior's advent was more clearly revealed. The Magi learned with joy that his coming was near and that the whole world was to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. In Great Controversy, page eight, or Great Controversy, this is the 1888 version. I don't know if it's in the 1884. Page 314, it says, Students of nature, the Magi had seen God in his handiwork. From the Hebrew scriptures, they had learned of the star to arise out of Jacob, and with eager desire they waited his coming, who should be not who should be not only the consolation of Israel, but a light to lighten the Gentiles and for salvation unto the ends of the earth. They were seekers for light, and light from the throne of God illumined the path of their feet. While the priests and the rabbis of Jerusalem, the appointed guardians and expounders of the truth, were shrouded in darkness, the heaven-sent star guided these Gentile strangers to the birthplace of the newborn king. Back in Desire of Ages, page 60, the wise men had seen a mysterious light in the heavens upon the night when the glory of God flooded the hills of Bethlehem. 
As the light faded, a luminous star appeared and lingered in the sky. It was not a fixed star nor a planet, and the phenomenon excited the keenest interest. That star was a distant company of shining angels, but of this the wise men were ignorant. Yet they were impressed that the star was of special import to them. They consulted priests and philosophers and searched the scrolls of the ancient records. The prophecy of Balaam had declared, There shall come a star out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Could this strange star have been sent as a harbinger of the promised one? The Magi had welcomed the light of heaven sent truth. Now it was shed upon them in brighter rays. Through dreams they were instructed to go in search of the newborn prince. So traditionally, the view developed that these men were Babylonians, Persians, or Jews from Yemen, as the kings of Yemen then were Jews. A pastor friend of mine thinks that these were the sons of Abraham's concubine after Sarah died that were told to move to the East Country. There is an Armenian tradition identifying the Magi of Bethlehem as Balthazar of Arabia, Melchior of Persia, and Gaspar of India. These men were astrologers studying the heavens with the hope of knowing the future. They willingly traveled all the way across the Middle East in search of the king. Well, as the quote from Desire of Ages stated, the wise men studied the writings of Balaam. There was someone else that had lived in Asia Minor and had a far more profound influence on at least three different kingdoms. His name was Daniel. These wise men, I am sure, were familiar with his writings. One in particular must have been of interest to them. It was this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. You're very familiar with this prophecy, I'm sure. Seventy weeks are determined unto thy people and unto thy holy city. Daniel 9.25 says, Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, the street shall be built. You're very familiar with this prophecy. I'm going to skip through this because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Anyway, as they were studying this particular prophecy, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, I believe it was this very prophecy that, that drove these wise men to earnestly study anything they could get their hands on to know when this was going to be fulfilled. Because we know, as Seventh-day Adventists, this is the greatest time prophecy recorded in the Bible. It pinpoints the exact time of Messiah the Prince. Now, the, the, uh, Luke, the writer of the book of Luke, says that Jesus, when he was baptized in, 30, in 27 AD, was 30 years old. About, he says, 30 years old. Which means that he was not born at 0 AD. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But one thing that's of interest to me is that when Malachi closed his scrolls, that was 400 AD BC. 400 BC. So for 400 years, the people of God had no prophetic vision. Total silence from God for 400 years. What would you have done had you been living 
at that time? Would you have become complacent? Would you have accepted the idea that the Messiah will never come? Where are we today? The last prophet laid down her pen 100 years ago next year. She died in, I think, 19, was it 1918? 1917? 100 years ago. So are we at risk of becoming like the Jews? Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, Daniel lived during the reigns of four kings. Those four kings were Nebuchadnezzar, who we are told in um, Prophets and Kings. No, yes, Prophets and Kings. Nebuchadnezzar was a converted man. He gave his heart to Jesus. And praise the Lord for that. Belshazzar was another. He did not. He was lost. Darius and Cyrus were both converted by the prophet Daniel. What a powerful witness he was. These magi were reading this prophecy. So during this time, when he wrote Daniel 8 and 9, it was 500 years B.C. 100 years before Malachi laid down his prophetic pen. So for 500 years, the prophecies of Daniel would have been told and retold to the inhabitants of the East. The wise men most likely would have studied these prophecies based on what they knew of the decree of Artaxerxes to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in 457 B.C. They came to the conclusion that the Messiah was close at hand. So they go to Jerusalem and they go to the king. Who was the king then? scoundrel named Herod. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. So the Jewish scribes must have known something about his coming because they knew where he was to be born and told Herod it was in Bethlehem, the city of David. Well, David lived something like 1000 BC. So for him, this prophecy in Isaiah was a long, long ways in the future. But here, the prophet Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to find out that this is all in the stars. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So here in Acts chapter 2, verse 29 to 30, it says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, we were talking about fruit yesterday, weren't we? The fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up, to, up Christ to sit on his throne. So why was Herod so interested in killing Jesus? Jesus coming from the royal seed was a threat to his crown and his throne. 
Wicked king Athaliah, if you remember, tried to kill the royal seed. Fortunately, God preserved the seed by sparing Josiah's life. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 and 11 says that the wise men weren't coming to see a king. They were coming to worship a god. And that's what it says here. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when they were came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Remember that phrase right there. Young child. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. So now that I've painted for you a picture of the Magi, we should try to understand what it was that they studied so earnestly in the heavens. Ellen White called them astrologers, and so they were. They had been studying the stars in heaven. Their spiritual background was a mix of Eastern mysticism, nature study, and the study of ancient Old Testament writings. One very important point I need to mention right here is the fact that the paths of truth and error lie so close to each other that they are scarcely distinguishable. Can you see this in the world today? Yes, we can. Let me give you some examples. Spiritually, I'm going to skip through a lot of these because you have them in your handout. The true, Jesus is the light, the counterfeit. Lucifer is the light bearer. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. Lucifer is the roaring lion. Jesus was the serpent lifted up on the pole. Lucifer was serpent, the destroyer. Jesus was called a star in a number of places. Lucifer was called a fallen star. Jesus was called the prince of heaven. Lucifer was called the prince of the earth. Here's some more from the secular world. We're just going to look at a few of these. The rainbow of promise and the new age rainbow. We're going to look at this in just a moment. I'll come back to that one. Streets of Heaven. Anybody ever see the movie Wizard of Oz? The streets were paved with yellow brick road. Streets of gold. That was a counterfeit. God on his throne. How about back in Oz? Oz, the charlatan, a counterfeit. How about angels with light swords that guarded the gates of Eden? They weren't just swords. They were lightsabers. And I'll show you about that in just a moment. Lightsabers, Star Wars. How about the Holy Spirit? What about the Force? The Force be with you, Luke Skywalker was told. The Holy Spirit, a counterfeit. There's a whole bunch more. You have them in your handout. So for every truth, the devil has a counterfeit. Isaiah 8, chapter, Isaiah 8 verse 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. All that the devil can do is pervert the truth. He has no creative thought process. He can mingle a little bit of error with a lot of truth, and to many it appears to be truth, but a half-truth is still a full lie. That's what Isaiah says right here. Is it possible to know the difference? Yes, it is. The very important part is verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It, the seed, 
shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. So how did Adam pass along the prophetic promise that he was given here to his offspring? Well, word of mouth for sure. But you know how it goes. I tell you something, you tell somebody else, they tell somebody else, and before it gets back to me, it's all jumbled up and messed up, and it doesn't sound anything like what I told the first person. So how did Adam pass along the prophetic promise? I have to believe that there was much more that God revealed to them. Since they didn't have the written Bible that we have, God gave them a different kind of Bible, something that would remind them of the plan of salvation month by month and year by year. So Paul tells us in Romans 10, 13, that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he gives this, these verses here, 14 and 15. He makes a bold assertion here that people must have heard about the Savior. He says at the end of verse 14, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The answer for the question is in the next verse, verse 15. But I say unto you, have they not heard? Oh, yes. Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Where is Paul quoting from here? He's quoting from the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 19. And we can see the story written in the sky so beautifully in Psalms chapter 19. The stars in heaven. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, remember that, their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. So it says the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, the word glory here is the same as the word character. And the heavens reveal a lot about the character of God. We can appreciate the immenseness of space, the beauty of the night sky, but there is more, much more that the heavens can tell us. We're not going to read this. I'm going to just show you. Verse 1 through 6. David is talking about the starry sky, the heavens. Verses 7 through 14, the lower part, He's talking about the Word of God. So he's prophetically tying the two together. The story in the stars and the story in the Word. Was the Word even written yet in his day? Not much of it. The book of Job, not much more. The five books of Moses were written then. Some of the minor prophets, Isaiah maybe, I don't even think Isaiah was written yet. But the main theme of the constellations is the Messiah. The Messiah to come. The Word of God. The Word made flesh. 
One thing comes to mind in Psalms 19, the fullness of the glory of God cannot be understood apart from God's Son, Jesus. He alone is the brightness of his glory, his character, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Apostle Paul spoke of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And that he is the image and glory of God in 1 Corinthians eleven seven, 7. And John declared of Jesus, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Only through Jesus Christ is God's glory fully revealed. Well, how much did David know about the starry heavens? He couldn't possibly know about quasars and pulsars, supernova and the millions of distant galaxies that we see here, complements of the Hubble Space Telescope. While these certainly show the power of God, they really don't reveal his glory for the heavens to reveal the glory of God, they must tell the story of Jesus. Being familiar with the Old Testament scripture, David knew that God created the stars. Genesis 1, 14 through 19. He also knew that God ordained them to tell a story. Why do I say that? Look at Psalms 8, verse 3. David declares, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. The word ordained there means set or appointed. Set or appointed. So Adam knew, Adam had been given the task of naming all the animals, but God named the stars, and he had a reason for that. Names in Old Testament time had special meanings. Jacob meant deceiver, right? Abraham meant father of a multitude. Well, David tells us in Psalms 147.4, he telleth the number of the stars, he calls them all by their names. Most of the named stars have Aramaic names. Why Aramaic? Well, this was the language of the patriarchs. As we will soon see, the names of the stars paint a complete picture of the entire plan of salvation. Each month, as Adam observed the night sky, a new constellation with new names came into view. At the end of 12 months, the story repeated. This was Adam's experience for 900 years. 900 times Adam saw the plan of salvation carried out in the stars. David would not have been familiar with the writings of Isaiah, but we can certainly learn from him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high. Behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. The host there is the starry sky. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. So knowing the Hebrew names and possibly being familiar with the Arabic names, David and Isaiah would have known the meaning which we will discover in this seminar. More important, they knew that the stars had a divine purpose. They were like a story written in the night sky. Genesis 1:14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs. The Hebrew word thereabah is a mark. And let them be for seasons 
and for days and years. The word season there is not winter, spring, summer, and fall. It's not that at all. It never refers to a season. It's a fixed or an appointed time. The starry sky was a time prophecy. So Job tells us, Canst thou bind the sweet influence of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Mazaros in his season? Or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? The signs were to indicate prophetic events, and the seasons were to indicate the times pertaining to the signs. Month by month, year by year, the gospel story was told by the constellations of the Mazaroth as they traveled across the night sky. The story in the stars tells of God's great love. It tells of his care for his children. It tells of an arch enemy. It tells of warfare. It tells of a glorious end to all this misery, crime, violence, and hatred. So Amos 5.8 tells us, we can read this text. I'm not going to go ahead and read it. It just mentions the seven stars in Orion. But today we have the written word of God in the Bible. What used to bother me was that the ancient people particularly the antediluvians that lived before the flood, didn't have this written guidebook to guide them on the way, capital W-A-Y. Jesus is the way. Job is arguably the oldest book in the Bible. Long before this book was written, however, God had written the entire plan of salvation in the stars. Once I came to this understanding, I could see again the love of God and the care of God for all of his children. Because people that lived before the Bible was written didn't have the knowledge of the plan of salvation. Oh, yes, they did. It was written in the stars. He would not leave them in the dark spiritually. I am fully convinced that God told Adam and Eve the names of the stars and associated the constellations so that month after month and year after year, the plan of salvation will be written in the night sky to encourage them. So David tells us in Psalms 136, verse 5, to him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. You've heard of the Big Bang? Baloney. There's no truth in that. God threw the stars in the heavens in a particular way. He did not scatter them randomly through that Big Bang explosion, but they were set on a predetermined course through space by the hand of God. They are there. They are where they are because he ordained them there. Job 38, 32 again says, Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season, in his appointed time? Maseroth here, if you look, if you have a King James Bible, in the margin it says Maseroth, Zodiac. That's what it says. It's the 12 signs in the drama of the plan of salvation revealed in the stars. The word means, the word Maseroth means separated, divided, or apportioned. It never was intended by God to be a fortune teller's tool to predict your future, although it certainly does predict the future. Astrology is a corruption of the prophetic message revealed in the stars. The devil wanted to destroy the message and as is his normal style, he mixed truth and error. So here you have a definition of the Maseroth. 
and I won't read the definition. I think I may have put this in your handout, but it just tells you from the ancient languages, the Babylonian languages, the Egyptian language, the Hebrew language, what the name meant. It means the way. The word comes from the Greek zodiacos, meaning a circle. It comes from a primitive root word zoad, denoting a way or a path or going by steps. This is the path across the sky that the sun travels. And that's what you normally would see in the sky each season out of the year. Okay, so the zodiac is divided into 12 parts. Each part pictorially represents a prophetic event in relation to the unfolding story of salvation in the history of the world. The 12 signs as originally given by God, were a prophetic outline of the purpose of God in the history of salvation. They are understood, however, only if they are seen in their proper order. Since they form a circle, the problem is knowing where to start and to finish. Modern astrologers begin with the constellation Aries. That's a counterfeit. It's not true. But this is a corruption and it doesn't correlate with biblical revelation. A comparison of the prophecies in the heavens with the prophecies in the Bible clearly shows that the starting point is the divine promise concerning the seed of the woman, Revelation 3.15. The ending point coincides with the climax of Scripture in the triumph of the lion of the tribe of Judah, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. So the promise of the seed is the first book of the Bible. In the first book of the Bible is seen in the constellation Virgo. And we'll come back to that in a moment. The promise of the triumphant lion is seen in the constellation Leo. Why do I say that? I'll show you in a moment. This is Virgo. This is Leo. So as it goes across the starry sky, the first one is Virgo, not Aries. I'm sorry if you're an astrologer and you're in this room and you believe in astrology, I just blew your whole theory all out of the water. Virgo is the first, Leo is the last. So it goes this way, around the circle. And I'll show you how that works here in just a moment. <clears throat> In Egypt, in Dendera, there is a zodiac in the ceiling of a temple. And that zodiac looks like this. And all the signs of the zodiac are here, but the ones I want to point to you are these two right here. This guy, what does that look like to you? A lion. And this one right here, it's a woman sitting with a branch in her hand. We're going to come back to these two in just a moment. But that's the zodiac that's in Egypt, in Dendera. Let me show you another one. This is um, another temple in Egypt. It's the Temple of Esna. And in the ceiling, there is a painting, and that painting has a, in, in the portico of that temple, there's a, in the ceiling, there's a painting that shows two particular parts of the zodiac. One is the lion, and the other 
is the woman with a branch in her hand. That's not a spear. It's a woman holding a branch. But there's this interesting looking creature right here. This creature has the face of a woman and it has the body of a lion. You ever seen anything in Egyptian pictures that had the face of a woman and the body of a lion? So between the two, the lion, what it's showing you here is that the face of the woman is pointing this way. So she's the beginning of the march of the zodiac across the sky. Leo, he's the end. He's the tail. She's the head. He's the tail. Let me show you this little guy. You remember him? The great sphinx. Well, what does the sphinx have? It's got the face of a woman and the body of a lion, and there's his tail. The face of a woman and the body of a lion. The true riddle of the sphinx is that it binds together the first sign of the zodiac and the last sign of the zodiac. Seen in the temple at Esna. And it gives us the correct beginning of the year according to the constellations. This understanding gives us a new light to see Virgo, the Virgin, as the first sign and the first coming of the Messiah, and Leo, the Lion, as the second coming of the Messiah, as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. The story is all about Jesus. The beginning of Jesus' life, end of the world when Jesus returns. Four times in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.8, Revelation 1.11, Revelation 21.6, and Revelation 22.13, Jesus declares himself to be the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The story in the stars, like the story in the Bible, begins with Jesus' birth, to a virgin, and it ends with his second coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Everything in the heavens and in the word focuses on him. He is the way. So associated with the 12 signs were additional constellations, three in particular for every one of the 12. So that made it up 48 total, and we'll look at some of these in a little bit. But here's Virgo and her... Um, her decans is Kalma, Buddhist, and one other one, and it's not on this picture. We'll come back to it in a moment. As you would see by watching the drama unfold, the main theme is the great controversy between two opposing forces, one of evil and the other good. The evil character represented Satan. He is represented by a number of constellations, Draco, Serpens, Hydra, as well as Lepus, Cetus, and Scorpio. The other leading character in the drama is Jesus Christ. In every one of the 12 signs, he is glorified by the Holy Spirit. He can be seen in the seat of the woman, Virgo, the Redeemer in the sign Libra that paid the price. Libra was the balance scales. He is, in the, enduring, he is enduring the suffering of death in Scorpio, and is the triumphant conqueror in Sagittarius. Everywhere in the heaven, the Lord Jesus shines with divine brilliance in his person and his work, in his deity and his humanity, 
in his suffering and in his glory, in his first coming in humility and his second coming in majesty. Just as Christ is the focal point of the written word, so he is the focal point of the heavenly drama. No wonder that Satan has corrupted this beautiful story. So unfortunately, many of these stories have been twisted by Babylonian astrologers and expanded by Greeks into fantastic myths. However, the basic core of the facts from the constellations is essentially the same, wherever they are found in the world. The Hebrews, the Indians from India, the Aztecs, the Babylonians and Persians, the Norsemen, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Central and North American Indians, and the Chinese all recognize the same constellations with essentially the same meanings and the same names of the stars. Also with the same meanings. Underneath the pile of myth, corruption, and idolatry emerges the same basic pattern. The only explanation is that there was one original source of truth who identified the constellations with their meanings before the dispersion of the peoples of the earth at the Tower of Babel. God is that source. If you have this handout, I'm not going to go through this. Um, I will mention the four that we're going to be looking at today. Virgo, the seed of the woman. That's what the constellation means in the Aramaic language. We're going to be looking at um, a piece of Taurus. Not Taurus, but we're going to be looking at Orion. We're going to be looking at Leo. And we're going to be looking at a piece of another one, which is Ophiuchus. And we'll come back to that one in just a moment. So let's find out what the original meaning of these constellations mean. And there you have it. It's in your handout. Acts chapter 1. The suffering Savior. Deliverance from the penalty of sin. And Acts chapter 1 is expanded upon its Virgo, the virgin birth. Libra, the scales, the, the sufficient price paid. Scorpio, the scorpion seeking to wound, but itself being crushed. Sagittarius, the archer with a drawn bow, the victorious redeemer. That's act, act, act one of the drama in the skies. The suffering savior. Deliverance from the penalty of sin. Act two, the glorified blesser. Deliverance from the power of of sin. The main sign is Capricorn, the sea goat, the life resulting from the sacrificial death of Christ. Aquarius, the waterman, the water of life poured out on the redeemed. Pisces, the fishes, the blessing of salvation delayed. Aries, the lamb, deliverance realized. That's act two. Act three in the drama, the reigning judge. By the way, prophetically, in the world's history, this is where we are right here. Taurus, the wild bull, the judge, coming to rule. We'll come back to Orion in a moment. Gemini, the twins, the coming prince and savior. Cancer, the, securing, the secure resting place, the redeemed held safe. Leo, the lion, the triumph of the redeemer. Act 2. So let's go to Act 1, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The drama has to begin right here. 
And as we saw, the Magi studied the stars in the Hebrew Scriptures, and they knew the time of the Messiah's birth. Now, I may surprise some of you with some of the things that I say right here, but you're going to have to bear with me. Revelation 12, verse 1 says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Where? In heaven, in a heavenly sky at night. A great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. I don't know if you can see the date there. The date according to Stellarium, is 1 B.C., September the 1st. 1 B.C. We'll come back to this in a moment. I propose to you that Jesus was not born on December the 25th, year zero. December the 25th was the birthday of Tammuz, the sun god, a pagan deity. I am convinced that he was born sometime before or around 1 B.C., September 1. And I'll show you why shortly. Although millions of people celebrate the birth of Jesus all over the world at Christmas, not one of them can tell you for certain when it was that he was born. It was in the 3rd century when the Roman Emperor Aurelian proclaimed the winter solstice December the 25th as a feast day dedicated to the Roman sun god, Sol, or Tammuz. We're going to skip past this. But I want to show you this. This is something that took place in the starry sky. And I'll come back to this in a moment, but I want to just show you how this worked. August the 12th, 3 BC, there were two planets, Jupiter and Venus, that rose in conjunction. Conjunction means they're so close together, they look like they're one. And for an astrologer, like the wise men, that was very, very significant. Jupiter signified kingship or Messiah, and Venus meant birth and motherhood. This occurred in the constellation of Leo, the lion, which is the symbol of the Hebrew tribe Judah. Since the Magi were studied in the Hebrew Scriptures, they probably knew from Genesis 49.10 that the Messiah would come from the, lion, from the tribe of Judah. So the celestial events I will show you told the wise men that the prophesied Jewish Messiah and King was being born. Wow, we're, we've got to really move fast. These ast astronomical statistics have been printed in a number of places, including Guidepost Magazine. Each number on that chart right there, I don't know if this is in your handout or not. Okay, so September, th September 3 of 3, excuse me, September 3 BC, they saw Jupiter rise in conjunction with Regulus, a star in the front of the constellation of Leo. February 2 BC, a second time they saw Jupiter rise in conjunction with Regulus. All this happened. This has never happened before. It had never happened before in the history of the world. May 2, May of 2 BC, excuse me, a third time they saw Jupiter rise in conjunction with Regulus. 
All this took place within the course of one and a half years. Three times Jupiter rises in conjunction with Regulus, that star. June 2, a second time they saw Jupiter and Venus rise in conjunction. Again, Jupiter referred to kingship or the Messiah. Venus meant birth or motherhood. September of 2 BC, a third time they saw Jupiter and Venus rise in conjunction. This occurred again in the constellation of Leo. August, September, 3 BC, 2 BC, December. Jupiter was located directly in the womb area of the constellation of Virgo, which I think is interesting. So that was around December, 2 BC. Right around December, 2 BC. By the way, Jupiter's Hebrew name is Sadek which throughout the period of Jesus and the first apostles was a term used for the Messiah. So the Magi knew something special indeed was about to happen. They were seeing it in the stars. Everything lined up, however, on September the 1st, 1 BC, perfectly matching Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Revelation 12, verse 1 says, a virgin will be giving birth the sun shall be clothed with the sun. That's her clothing right there, the sun. The moon is at her feet. She has a crown of 12 stars on her head. There's two ways that this happens. There's nine stars in the constellation of Leo. Then you have Mars, Jupiter, and Venus, three planets that made up the rest of the 12 stars that were a crown above her head. We now know today that Jupiter itself has 12 moons. So twice in the alignment of the stars in the heaven, in 1 BC, September the 1st, the Magi saw the Messiah had been born. Now I believe, I believe this with all my heart, that God in his infinite wisdom did not mean that the wise men would get there the moment that Jesus was born. Why do I say that? Because the shepherds that were in their field watching their flock by night in September of the previous year, 2 BC, as we saw a moment ago, that's when they went to the manger in Bethlehem and the baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes. But as we saw a moment ago in another text, when the Magi got there, Mary and Joseph weren't in a manger anymore. They were living in a house. And they came and they worshipped the child, Jesus. He was one or two years old. That's why Herod sent his troops to kill all the children three years old and under because he figured if he got three and under, he'd get the Messiah. Now, if you were God in your infinite wisdom, would you want your baby son traveling from Bethlehem to Egypt in the dead of the winter? From September, because it would take them from September to probably February, five months to make that journey in the dead of winter, carrying an infant newborn baby? I don't think so. But if you were taking a one-year-old or a two-year-old, that's eh, not so bad. So that's what I believe happened. So on that day, she had the sun at her shoulder, the moon at her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. 
The Latin word Virgo means a virgin. The, yeah. the Latin word Virga, which is a variant of it, means the branch. So you know about the branch of David. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, And there shall come forth a branch out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. She's holding a branch in her hand. I'm going to show this in a moment. Matthew 1, 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So the Hebrew name for this constellation is Bethula, or virgin. The Arabic name is Adora, virgin. While the Greeks called it Parthenos, which is the word for virgin in the New Testament and is the word for virgin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We saw in the parable of the plant, Jesus is the branch. He's the seed. He's the corn that must die to raise again and bear fruit. So what about the stars in Virgo? They tell a story of the birth of Jesus. That big bright star at the bottom, that's Spica. Spica, the branch or the seed of the branch. In this case, Jesus. The Hebrew word for Spica is ah, Samak, I think is the way that that is pronounced. There are more than 20 words in Hebrew for branch, but this is the only one which refers exclusively to the Messiah. As the branch, Christ is revealed as king in Jerusalem in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, servant in Zechariah 3, 8, man in Zechariah 6, 12, God in Isaiah 4, 2. Matthew shows Christ as king. Mark shows him as servant. Luke shows him as man. And John shows him as God. He was to bruise this. He was to be the seed of the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. Zavajava, a star near Virgo's head, means gloriously beautiful. Look at that text, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. In that day shall the branch, Jesus, of the Lord, be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Vendemiatrix, a star in the right arm of Virgo, it's not here, Yes, it is there. It's the very end one. Means the sun who comes or the branch who comes. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Subalon, a star in her right hand, means an ear of wheat. And there's a text, John 12.24. I'm not going to read this. We've got to rush along. These are the, the decans of Virgo. Coma means the desired. Buddhist means the coming shepherd. Centaur means the despised. Orion has to be my favorite constellation in the sky. Not only is it easy to find and identify, but there are some very special things about this constellation. Orion is right here. That's... Battle geese, we'll look at that in a moment. That star right down here is Rigel. I'm going to tell you about that star in a moment. Very easy to see. There's its stars. Here's the line so you can see what it looks like in the night sky. That's him, Orion. The triumph of and the brightness of his coming. That's what this constellation means. The triumph 
and the brightness of his coming, coming forth as light. Orion is to remind us that coming, that the coming glorious Prince of Peace, in one hand he holds a great club, in the other, the skin of a slain lion, that devil himself. This shows his victory over the roaring lion, Satan. At the feet of mighty Prince Orion is a serpent. You can see the serpent there. It's really a river of fire, but it's also a serpent right here. This little guy right here is Lepus. Now he's shown in many zodiacs as a hare, but it's really the enemy. It's not a rabbit. It's the enemy in the original language. The foot of Orion is this star right here, Rigel. Rigel in the Aramaic means the foot that crushes. And he is crushing Lepus, the enemy, and the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15, fulfilled in the stars. The other star right back here, saith, in the heel, means bruised. Genesis 3.15, he shall bruise thy heel. They had, but thou shalt bruise his heel. And I'm not going to read these texts. They just are more on the constellation Orion. In the, the interesting thing here, though, is the word in the Hebrew for Orion is the word K-E-C-I-Y-L. I don't know how to pronounce it. Kesiel, a strong one, a hero. In Egypt, it's, in Egyptian, it's the word Hagat. He who triumphs. So Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Habakkuk 3, 3 and 4 God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise, and his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hands, and there was the hiding of his power. That's an interesting quote. Horns coming out of his hands. Do you know what the word horn means there? It's the word karen, which means beams of light coming out of his hands. What are in the hands of Jesus? Holes. His light is coming out of those holes when he comes back. That's what Habakkuk the prophet saw. So those are the stars of Orion. Betelgeese, the coming of the branch. We saw this same branch in Virgo. We won't read the text. We don't have time. Bellatrix, quickly coming or swiftly destroyed. Saif, the bruised. Alnitak, the wounded one. Rigel, the foot that crushes. Mintaka, dividing as a sacrifice. And there's one final thing I want to show you about Orion. The middle star of the sword, right there. The middle star of the sword is not a star at all. It's the great nebula, M42. That's what it looks like. And astronomers have looked at this 
this nebula, and it's a tunnel that goes back into the inside of that nebula. Ellen White said this, dark heavy clouds came up and crashed against each other. The atmosphere parted and rolled back. Then we could look up through the open space in Orion, that nebula, whence came the voice of God. The holy city will come down through that open space. Early writings, page 41. Orion is special to me. That's where my Savior is coming from. So now we've come full circle. We've come back um, in the full circle of the Maseroth. We started looking at Virgo, the virgin giving birth to the seed. We now need to look at Leo, the tribe of Leo, a lion of the tribe of Judah. And I'm almost out of time, but I'm going to make it through this. Final sign, Leo. This constellation means his enemies destroyed. Can you see the shape of a lion there? It's one of the only ones. But, but again, the lions are not there in the night sky. You'd never see that. There he is, lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Syriac is the name Aryo, the rending lion. The Hebrew name is Ariah, the lion. So we need to look at the meaning of the stars in Leo. Regulus, trending underfoot, also called Corleonis, the heart of the lion. Dinabola, the judge who comes. These are all in your handout, by the way. Aljaba, the exaltation. Zazma, shining forth. Minchar al-Assad, the tearing of the lion. Al-Defera, enemy put down. Al-Zubra, the heaped up as sin and delayed punishment. Al-Surfa, the burning, the funeral pyre, that fire that burns when Jesus returns. There's an interesting thing. You remember the lion, or not the lion, yeah, the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz? This lion does not have a heart that's cowardly. He's a king. Four times in the Zodiac, we find the symbology of the enemy being trodden underfoot. In the sign of Scorpio, Ophiuchus is crushing the head in the, of the scorpion. Hercules is crushing the head of Draco the dragon. Orion is crushing the head of Lepus the enemy. And now finally we have Leo crushing the head of the serpent. Good riddance, devil. This picture is from the Dendera Zodiac in Egypt. See the serpent there? Look at the decans, though. We need to look at the decans real quick. That's these other signs. We're going to look at Hydra. Hydra is this serpent right here. The lion is crushing the head of the serpent. That's what this constellation means. It means the old serpent destroyed. Ah, let's see. Alphar is a star in Hydra, and it means the excluded or put out of the way. I love that meaning. The ecliptic and the zodiac, the way is the way the stars go across the sky. And this says that the devil is going to be put out of the way forever. Never again will he be there. And the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled thee in the midst of I'm going to fast forward. I want to show you one thing here. 
Ezekiel 28. He's going to be destroyed from the midst of the stones of fire. The stones of fire are 12 stones around the throne of God. 12 signs of the zodiac. 12 stones in the breastplate. 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem. 12 gates into the city. 12 apostles. 12 ancestors of, of Israel, Jacob. The 12 sons of Jacob. 12, 12, 12. Those are the 12 stones of fire. And it says he's going to be destroyed from the midst of the stones of fire. Notice this next verse. I will bring forth a fire from the midst of these, speaking about the devil in Ezekiel 28. Here's what I believe is going to happen. I think those 12 stones, and in fact, when you look at the 12 stones in the breastplate of the high priest, they all will laze. They all have laser properties, every one of them. There's 12 of those around the throne of God. They're huge. I believe every one of them lasers, and the way a laser works is it pumps with energy. When energy pumps a laser stone, it gives off coherent light. What's the most powerful thing in the universe? King Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, sitting on the throne. The 12 stones are around. They're being pumped with energy, energy, energy. And they're going to put out a beam of light at the end of this world's history, and that beam of light is going to hit the devil and incinerate him. He's gone. From the midst of the stones of fire. Give you a little side trip there. Crater. That constellation right here. Crater. The wrath of God poured out on the serpent. Crater's a cup that holds the wrath of God. Revelation 14.10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. Psalm 75, 7 and 8. But God is the judge. He put it down one and setteth up another for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup and the wine is red and it's full of mixture and he poured out the same but the dregs thereof all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. Corvus, this constellation right here. That constellation is a raven devouring what's left of the dead serpent. Revelation 19, 17 and 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. And then they eat up all the wicked, including the devil. Good riddance, devil. The stars of Leo, Leo's decans, Alcabar, accursed, Algoreb, the raven, Minchar, Algoreb, the raven tearing to pieces, Minchar al-Sujia, the deceiver torn to pieces. It's one of the constellations we need to look at. And we're going to run out of time. We're already out of time, but we're going to take the time because I'm not being kicked out of here yet. Ophiacus. I love this constellation. It means the evil one held. Serpents is the other part of this group of stars. And I want to show you something here. You're going to see this in a moment, but I'm going to show you right here. See this constellation right here? It looks like an upturned bowl. That's the constellation Corona. Corona means crown. This constellation right here, we're going to look at this in a moment. I'll show you how it's all laid out. This constellation right here, Draco, the dragon. This constellation right here is Ophiuchus, the mighty hunter. Let me put him up there so you can see. There's the lines. 
There's Corona, Draco, Ophiacus. Let me show you how this works. Two constellations. The strong man, the mighty man, is holding the serpent back from getting the crown. And the foot of the mighty man, Antares, is crushing the head of the scorpion. What a powerful lesson that was. Now the ancients didn't see these pictures like you're seeing. All they saw was the stars. But God told them the meaning. So when the constellation came around, they knew, King Jesus, you're coming. Someday you're going to get rid of this problem. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 14, 12 to 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend into the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I'm going to wear the crown. But the mighty man holds him back and he cannot get to the crown. What a glorious constellation that is. One final quote. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 68. The plan of redemption had yet broader and deeper purpose than the salvation of man? A broader and a deeper purpose? It was not for this alone that Christ came to the earth. It was not merely that the inhabitants of this little world might regard the law of God as it should be regarded, but it was to vindicate the character of God before the universe. To this result of his great sacrifice, its influence upon the, upon the intelligence of the other worlds, as well as upon man, the Savior looked forward when just before his crucifixion he said, now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. One thing interesting, the unfallen worlds don't see this plan of salvation in the stars. They're in the wrong perspective. They're out there somewhere. Alpha Centauri, some other, some other galaxy. They don't see it. We are the only ones in the universe that see the plan of salvation in the stars from the perspective of Earth. Ah, one last quote. I'm sorry. Patriarchs of Proverbs, page 68. Continue on. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw them into me. The act of Christ in dying for the salvation of man would not only make heaven accessible to men, but before all the universe, it would justify God and his Son in their dealing with the rebellion of Satan. It would establish the perpetuity of the law of God and would reveal the nature and the results of sin. And you have one final handout in your packet. I'm going to explain this to you. You can see this. If the sky clears off tonight, tomorrow night, Saturday night, you can see this. Looking to the south of the campus, towards the information booth, you'll see Ophiuchus, the mighty warrior, holding back Draco, the dragon, from getting the crown, Corona. That'll be in the sky. Also in the sky will be Virgo, the virgin. Also in the sky will be Leo, the lion of the tribe of Judah. All through the whole plan of salvation is right there in the sky. And you'll be able to see it if the sky clears off after 1030. 
at night. And that is the end of the story. I have one other thing to say, and I don't know what it means. September the 1st, 2017. I'm sorry, September the 23rd, 2017. That star alignment that took place in 1 BC that heralded the coming of Jesus will happen again the second time in the history of the world. I think it's September the 23rd this year, 2017. Something significant is going to happen. I don't know what it is. Something significant is going to happen. The evangelical world thinks the rapture is going to take place. Well, we know they're going to be majorly disappointed. I'm done. We need to close with prayer. Loving Father in heaven, oh, thank you, Jesus, for winning the battle. It's been shown in the stars for thousands of years. And you win in the end. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Thank you so much for showing us the plan of salvation. Thank you for showing it to the antediluvians. Those people before the flood, they didn't have any excuse. Only eight people got on the ark. They saw the heavens. They knew what was happening. But they wouldn't get on the ark. Thank you, Lord, for your, for your story in the stars. Bless us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.